Hi everyone, and welcome to the Whiteboard Podcast. Whiteboard is a podcast that invites recent design grads to be candid about their experience in design education and building their career in creative industries. We are also visited by industry professionals willing to share their wisdom in getting started in creative advertising and the related fields. Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Whiteboard Podcast. Uh, my guest today is Leo Schwartz. Leo started in this industry as a photographer, but he's built up an awesome career as a brand designer. I'm really lucky to have Leo here today. He's got some amazing clients and wonderful stories to share. So Leo, thank you and, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I'm, my name is Leo. I started very early on as a photographer in, in fashion. And then when I came here to, to Canada, I started in product photography. And uh, through that startup and then like a couple of businesses in between that I worked for, I kind of worked my way into the branding industry or the creative industry. And um, most recently, I've, I've uh, worked for a couple of agencies uh, here in Toronto and, and around the world, um, designing for companies like uh, Slack, Salesforce, Chase, um, but also consulting with international agencies and yeah, just um, small business, small medium businesses all around uh, the world. What are some of the detailed steps in that those changes of your career moving from photography and into brand design? It's really about what you want to do, really. Before I made the decision to come to Canada, I actually was on the path of becoming a commercial pilot. Yeah, so quite the change. So I majored in, in mathematics and physics and I was really down that path. I even went to flight school and that was really my dream um, growing up. And then I talked to a lot of pilots and no one recommended it to me. And I, on the side, I was also taking photos of my friends and, and doing that stuff. And that kind of led to like a whole other side thing that was happening. Um, so I, I did a lot of like fashion shoots and, and things like that. And when I came here, that was really the only skill that I had to offer. So I decided, okay, let's, let's give it a shot. I'm, I came here with basically just my camera stuff and, and nothing else. And I was like, that either it's going to be this or I'm going to go back and I'll go to flight school, right? To the question is like, how do you get from A to B? It's really about like, what do you want to do? Because it's it's a journey, right? For me, when I started, I didn't even know what branding was. I just didn't, right? I did. I started as a product photographer. They, this startup essentially uh, at some point went through a rebrand. And that's really the first time I realized, okay, this is something that I'm really interested in. And you can't plan for that. I just kind of followed what, what, like along with what I thought was right. And ultimately... That led to me working, um, after I left that startup, I started um, freelancing um, as a designer, purely as a designer, um, doing nothing with photography anymore, and then ultimately um, went to an agency, and uh, with that I got much more brand experience, and uh, that was kind of the path, but you just have to start somewhere, in my mm -hmm. opinion, something that interests you, and then just go with it, see what you like, see what other people are doing, ask questions, and, and go from there. I can share a similar story. I was just working on takeout menus for clients and noticing the food photography was just garbage. When there's a standard that low, even yeah. I can rise above it. So <laughs> I was like, well, I can design and maybe they'll pay me to take new photos. And, and that's what I happened. Um, so I, I wonder, is there any like similar moments where you were like, oh, this is what I need to do to grow my portfolio? Yeah. At, at certain times you see a piece of work or you see someone else uh, that does something or um, you see, I don't know, maybe a job title or you get to know someone that works in a certain field where you realize, okay, this is actually something that really interests me. And I want to learn more about this, right? 
Um, and those points, like those points in time, I think you really need to capture and appreciate um, because I, while they influence you, you're not going to end up in that exact same position, but it will kind of push you forward into those areas I like and this I didn't like. So you'll move through the creative field because there's so, so many outlets, uh, so many different ways you can apply yourself. Um, there's really, especially in the creative field, there's really no rules of like what you are, who you are. And you can just really just, if you're good, you can be anything really. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, that's, that's such a great message. Although I will, I will say that I have students with international experience reporting mm -hmm. to me that sometimes that experience is not recognized. Not recognized by a company they're applying to? Yeah. That is really the reality of things. Um, when I applied for jobs, I have a broad, a very broad skill set. Let's just put it that way. Um, sometimes I had to really cut some things out because it just didn't matter for this job. You, you kind of have to also tell a story that makes sense, right? People don't want to see you like jumping around and like, um, I did this like last week and this next week. And here are five more skills. I also know how to cook and this and that, right? They're looking for someone that is stable and that is kind of an expert in, in a certain area. And I'm talking more about like intern, interims and, and junior designers uh, because they're really focusing on very specific tasks almost, right? And obviously they get exposure to more and more and they're going to grow, but they, they don't need someone that knows 500 things. Mm -hmm. um, that becomes more relevant when you like, go up the ladder and but um, if you're applying for a junior designer at like a small um, design agency they're, they're not going to be really interested like if you've done like xyz that's not related to that answer the job brief almost only the job brief yeah and and position yourself um yeah, almost like the branding position yourself in, in such a light that it makes sense to them to hire you yeah i see it often that like people like just list everything they've done yeah. But um, that's just noise and, and you kind of hide the important parts. I think when you're a junior, it's like present a clear deliverable. Like you are a product yeah. and you got to make that product line up with like the empty hole at that studio or agency or whatever. Like you need to be a square peg in a square yeah. hole, even if you're a multi-shaped peg. 100%. And I can relate to that. I'm very broad in my skill set as well. I don't want to like discourage anyone like there's going to be a point in time when you're just really good at what you do and, and you know what you're doing that you don't have to uh, try to fit yourself into something. Um, especially like for design, it's so easy to freelance nowadays. It really is. Um, if you have a, a good skill set. It feels really good the first time you get that message on LinkedIn. Are you interested in this opportunity? And it's there's fake ones, a lot of fake ones. Yeah. The first time it's real, you're like you're like, and for me, I was like 10 years into my career before. I don't know about you, but it, it took a long time to get there and they don't come often, but it will come and it feels great. But in the meantime, you kind of have to. I think the most important thing that I can maybe share about being a junior designer and uh, from like the juniors that we did have, they were very, very gritty. Uh, they wouldn't say no to anything and they worked really hard mm. um especially when you're like less experienced it takes you a lot longer to come up with like good concepts and refine them to a point where you can actually share it with a client you got to make up for that time and like really just stick with it right before you get that speed and then there's going to be more doors opening but i think the most important part uh, or what i'm looking for when i um when i select someone to that i want to work with um, on my team uh, i look for some for great attitude 
um, for a decent design foundation, obviously, but also for like just that grit and that like willingness to learn and not giving up and um, like putting in like extra hours, uh, not for the sake of the company, but for the sake of you to learn it, right? That's mm -hmm. really important because no one is gonna, you're not gonna learn that stuff by working 40 hour a week. It's just the reality of it. You really, early on, you gotta put in like the hours, not for the business, but for yourself to get really good and fast. And that's the fast track uh, to being really successful. Yeah, you know, I'm glad, you, I'm glad you said that. I know like there's so much pressure, have a side hustle and work till you burn out. Doing a little bit of that in the first four or five years of your career can just put you so much further ahead. And then when you're later on, you can kind of actually do 40 hour weeks. Yeah. You said you freelanced long enough to move into a senior role at an agency, but you did not go to design college. I did not, no. You did not. So no design college, working as a photographer, becomes a senior designer at a studio or agency. How, like freelancing, how were you doing that? Where were you getting clients? What kind of clients? What kind of work were you doing? And how did that build? When I started working as a, as a photographer, half a year or so at that company, I started doing design work for them. So that was kind of like my first experience. I was Sorry, hold on. Did you, just, did you just ask or did they give it to you? Did you say, I want this work? Or did they say, can you do this? Yeah, so I did not ask. Uh, it was a small startup when I started. And uh, a lot of the design work was actually done by like the founders. They asked me like, hey, I, we need those packaging files redesigned. Like did a good job at figuring out what they wanted and delivering that and putting in the extra hours to figure that out and learn the software and everything. Then essentially, once I did that, they started giving me more and more design um, until I ultimately uh, left and started doing a lot more of the freelance. And for freelance, it's very different dealing with clients. Like the first time I, I did a job, it was very stressful because you're holding so much responsibility over, over the work that you do. And the first thing that I also did um, was branding. So like I went from doing like just basic e-commerce e and social media design to doing my own brand project because I was interested in it. Um, and yeah, it, it went okay. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> I wouldn't say it went great, but it, it went okay. And I learned a lot and it just kind of further confirmed the road that I want to go down. on. That's cool. So I, I, here's a question. You said went okay and then you giggled. How did you feel about it when you finished your first branding project? Did you look at that and you were like, it's a masterpiece? And then 10 years later, you're kind of like, well, I was, no, I was proud of it. I, I was proud of like what I've created. And even looking back, I think it's still a good piece of work, but where I failed and that's why it was only an okay project was in the account management okay. aspect of it. Um, because you don't learn that working in like a startup, you saw um, and, and there's this whole other side to design and um, kind of like to call it the business of design um, where it's about managing your client, managing the finances, mm -hmm. all these other things that almost take up half of the job and yeah. are equally as important for a successful project. You might even be like very good at selling your work and very good at the design that you do. But if you're not good at the account management, you'll never get any referrals or your projects will maybe be like, good but they'll never be amazing right. because it, at the end of the day you need to collaborate with your client right they know more about their industry and their business than you ever will most of the time yeah um and 
they also have great insight. And if you don't take that and you just push like some solution onto them, it will never be great work. I personally struggle with expressing the designer client relationship with regards to who is the expert. But yeah, it just, I don't know where I stand on this issue. I, I'm firmly a believer of I'm not the expert, especially like in, in branding, brand identity. We're looking at a couple of different things, right? We're looking at their audience, we're looking at their competitive market, and we're looking internally how they want to position themselves and how they see themselves. And um, in in all three areas, we'll do thorough research and exercises, and um, I'm going to learn a lot about the industry and their business in a very, very short time. But at the end of the day, I will never be able to replace the 20 years of hard work that they have put into their business, learning their market, learning their, um, yeah, uh, their competitors. And, and so, so when I come in into any business, I know that I'm only going to capture what is already there. And I'm going to help them maybe reposition their business for who they already want to speak to. But that's also why having like a founder or like a face of the company is, is still so powerful because your audience automatically aligns their values with whoever they're speaking to. Trying to translate that for a business that doesn't have a face is so very, very difficult. And that kind of maybe gives like a little bit of an insight why coming in, I, I can't uh, even think about saying that I'm the expert. I know what you guys got to do here. I know that I can offer expertise about how to approach certain problems, but I'll never, they might refer to me as an expert, but I will never refer to myself as the expert in this topic because I can't figure that out without them. Yeah, that that's great. Uh, I think it's a really good way to sort of see yourself in that schema. I guess maybe we can say that the client is the expert in their business and what they want to do. And sometimes the designer has this, because sometimes there's conflict where the designer strongly believes that this is the direction we should take. The client doesn't see it. That's when communication skills really come in handy. I'll give you an example. Um, we were working on rebranding a law firm, one of the biggest law firms in, in, the, in the world. And we asked the client, you know, what do you want to be? Everyone got a, a sticky. You put the sticky up on the chart with where you want this brand to be. Mm-hmm. And everyone put it up with like aspirational and um, modern. Okay. So we show them typefaces, which are aspirational and modern, right? Whatever that means. And then they're all pushing us back to, we want to go all cap serif with an underline and pillars and a gavel. And so the problem that the design team saw with that is, well, these are traditional symbols of law. Um, They're not aspirational. They're not forward thinking. They're not new or surprising. One of the things I noticed is, or from my experience also is clients will say one thing but they mean another so if they say they want to be aspirational they might not they're they might not be that right so that's why i'm talking about uncovering who they really are because they might say that's who they want to be but it's not who they really are and you kind of have to close that gap because at the end of the day if you just listen to your client you're going to give them a solution that they might not even need mm. so um it's really about understanding your client, not hearing or not listening to what they're saying, but what they mean and asking like deeper questions to get to the bottom of things, right? Because also terms like aspirational are like very suitcase word. There are words out there that are so overused that people don't even realize what it means, right? Mm-hmm. I've encountered this before, right? Like where they're saying one thing, 
But um, now when I hear this, when I hear someone say, okay, we want to be like aspiration, we want to be this, I ask things like, why? Mm -hmm. Why do you want to be this? Like, how does your business work? Like, who are your clients right now? Right? And you start to realize, okay, they might say, hey, we, we are the leading tech law firm, uh, XYZ, like, this is who we are. And then you ask and you realize that all their clients are, um, just making an example, but like older, bigger businesses, right? Mm -hmm. And then you start uncovering, okay, here, you have an existing client base of this, like, um, are you looking to acquire like new clients in this space? And then you kind of have to merge those worlds of like, okay, we, we don't want to necessarily not speak to those clients or, um, yeah, cannibalize our, our existing business and um you see how like there's so many more things underneath what they're saying yeah for sure yeah and yeah like chase is fintech but so is paypal and they're not the same and so is uh venmo like but yeah. they're not the same client and they're not this you're not the same brand going after those guys necessarily yeah yeah so the, the point that i'm really want to like that i'm trying to make is at least that's how i see it when I present something and the client goes, oh, this is not what we imagined, I always put the fault on me because mm -hmm. I, maybe they've said it, but I didn't uncover what they really meant. Right. Um, and that's what like um, the point is of like uncovering really what is underneath what they're saying, because that's going to lead you to a excellent creative work that works for the business and be very happy clients. Right. Because 90% of the time, they'll tell you that's what I want and they'll walk away with something else. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's a lot like any other relationship, really. I'm a human being and I, I'm not always able to express my deep desires. I might not even be like aware of them. Yeah. You, you just not. can't. So like sometimes you can't get mad at your spouse when they buy you a gift that you didn't like because it's like, well, you never really express anything. So it's, it's similar, right? It's not like this is a unique uh, phenomena in design relationships. This is just a human thing that it takes work to get at the core of a given problem. It does, yeah. And that relationship building really exists all throughout design. It's, it's not just when you're doing the work. It's at the very beginning of your career when you're first building up networks uh, with, with potential clients, potential employers, but also other people in the industry. No, it's, it's true. I mean, there's this whole other side to finding a job um that um i think people know about it but um it's it's kind of ambiguous uh which is the networking aspect and the uh, other thing is is putting yourself out there so that i'd love to hear from you about that because um at one point you were uh new in canada mm -hmm. and i don't know if you had a network i did not so how did you like what well as i said like i didn't have a network i didn't have a degree i didn't have anything really to like go off and to find my first job, what I did is essentially um, I applied to jobs where I thought my skill sets were fit. To be completely frank, like when I first got here, um, I walked up to like camera stores. I walked right in. I was like, hey, here's my resume. I know a lot about cameras. Uh, please hire me. <laughs> um, and I did that a lot. Like I drove all over Toronto or like I walked or uh, took the TTC and, and did that, um, which is one important aspect. Um, I put myself out there. Right. I'm not an outgoing person. I do want to say that I'm not someone that's like, hey, like, um, I love being outside and uh, I love putting myself out there. Uh, well, thank you for coming. <laughs> <then>. <laughs> no. Thanks for being here. No, I'm definitely an introvert. So don't 
like I, I don't want to hear any excuses about like <laughs> I, I can't do it because I'm too shy uh, because I definitely was and I think like I literally packed my suitcase now I came here and I didn't have anything so I, either I make it or I'm gonna be back in Germany in a month <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> I was like that was the kind of situation because I so putting yourself out there like taking risks um, putting in the effort that's one thing um, number two how I found my job was actually also through um, uh, indeed um, at the time so I whenever I saw an application where I thought I was a fit I put in a lot of effort into my application um, I drove out to the interviews I was always on time and, and everything um, and um, the job that I ultimately landed they asked for um, for me to like create something for them so they can see my photography skills mm. and at the time I was like I was staying in some like Airbnb somewhere in uh, Scarborough and uh, I literally built like my own photo studio in in Scarborough in the Airbnb room that I rented. Wow! To take those photos, when I did a lot of photoshopping because I did not have great lighting, and uh, ultimately got it. Yeah, a lot of effort, a lot of grit. I mainly because I didn't have anything to fall back on, right? So it just had to work. Um, I kind of made it my full time job finding a job, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and it took me. With no college, I had a okay portfolio of photography wise. It took me, I think, a month, to, but I put like all my time and effort in it. And the first day I started was actually my birthday. Oh wow! <laughs> wow. Use the word grit, which is a word like I don't have any other word for that, and I I don't like using it with students because it just sounds like my dad or something. <laughs> yeah. But but man, it it is like it is important. Um, Incredibly, like you said, when you're a junior, you may have to stay a little late from time to time. No, you absolutely have to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you, if if you if you don't have something in your portfolio that the employer wants, you have to go to the dollar store and stock up on foam core and you know trouble yep. lights uh, from Home Depot and can light that shit yep. because um, you just have to. And but it will pay off. Well, at least it did for me, and it sounds like it did for you. Yeah. Uh, so grit is was one of those like no one will know you have it. It's the it's one of the most important things in my opinion. Nothing can replace that because you don't have to be the most talented designer or um, the most experienced or like going went to the best school. If you have that work attitude, you can make it anywhere. And I'm the living proof of that because I didn't go to school. I am not like I didn't start with design early on. Um, I'm also not an artist. I don't think I'm like very skilled as, as an artist, but um, I just had a really incredible work ethic um, that allowed me to make it far in a very short amount of time. Employers don't need the world's most famous rock star. That rock star isn't going to show up to every concert. Yeah. <laughs> like it doesn't matter how good you are and how famous you are and how popular your best hit is. Studios and agencies need someone who will show up every day and get the job done. And so that is at least as important as raw talent. It's almost more important that you're reliable, um, that you have a great work ethic, ethic and you get the job done and you communicate well. Like I, I remember our interns, like when they, when they started, it might've taken them like two, three months before they did their first design that actually went to the client, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you just have to realize that um, this is exactly what it's going to be like as an intern. You're going to put a lot of work into something. You're going to stay late. You're going to work 10, 12 hours on something um, or like a 10, 12 hour day on something that is not going to be submitted. 
<laughs> no, but it, it, it's the reality. And, and they, like our interns, they knew that uh, most likely we're not going to submit it. But the senior designers or like the art directors and, and career directors took the time to um, uh, give feedback and, and give it, get it to the best level that it could be as a concept. Like I think three or four months in of like our interns, um, there was one concept that one of our interns designed that won over one of the concepts that a senior designer designed. Oh, nice. So that was like an, like that first time. It was like I think the first time we actually showed something and it immediately like um, like there was the success and that that just like I mean I don't have to tell you that was like amazing for them, right? Of course, <laughs> of course. Wow. Oh, that's good. So okay, so you made a full-time job to find photography clients because you're good with those clients and you give them what they need. You get a lot of referrals and you start to have a portfolio that you can shop around. And then you end up at a studio where the founding partners say, can you take some design work? You take it. Am I on the right track, Leo? Is that okay? Then what? Uh, so yeah, I started doing um, more design work and ultimately um, I started freelancing like specifically focusing on, on branding and, and leveraging some of like um, the project that I did together with the company I worked for, which was a big project. So it had some, uh, some value and uh, also people, a lot of people kind of knew the brand. Um, so it had like, it had some weight to it. I found a couple clients. My design skills were good enough to deliver good creative. Um, but the problem was the account management and aspect of it and setting expectations and really understanding what they wanted and not just giving them something that I thought would look good. Um, regardless, like I did a couple more projects and ultimately decided that um, I wanted to work for an agency because I wanted to grow more. I kind of felt like I was hitting a ceiling as a freelancer because I didn't have, I had like very little exposure to, to a creative director and then I freelanced and I taught myself a lot of things, but I started to hit a ceiling because I'm not able to learn from someone directly. Um, and I started working for an agency. Um, ultimately, the number one lesson I took away was, yeah, account, client management, uh, project management. And um, after after a while working there, I decided to then again become a freelancer again, now with like an entirely new perspective and a lot more experience. Um, and the world looked very different then than it looked before. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. As an independent freelancer, how are you finding clients? A lot of clients come through referrals of projects that I've done, probably about 40% um, come like our recurring clients. Um, some people that I've met when working for other businesses, some people that moved on to different businesses bringing me on. Um, then I have um, essentially retainers or um, contracts, um, one agency in Switzerland that I essentially help with, um, mostly with like brand strategy and uh, creative direction for their team. And um, the other piece of it is through Upwork. I'm on Upwork and I'm really enjoying that. I think I'm, uh, I'm in the top 3% on Upwork of freelancers. Nice. Um, and uh, it, it has been fantastic. I love Upwork. Um, I think it's, it's a great platform, going to be a big piece of the future of our work and how we collaborate. So not only from like a business standpoint, but also from where I see like this world going. I think um, Upwork is a fantastic place to find work. And again, getting started in Upwork is also not too difficult. Um, and also maybe a great place to start just training. If you can't find a job right away, set your rate at a ridiculously low price 
show your stuff that you've done? Ridiculously low in the GTA is probably under 20. Like, honestly, if you, if you have a hard time finding clients um, and you're just like waiting, maybe like you hear waiting to hear back or waiting to start a job, like, I don't know, like just set it to like something really, really low that not for profit, but to get a client and work with a real client. That's what I'm saying, right? You're getting paid to build a portfolio and it's exactly. kind of crappy, but it will work. Exactly. So um, there, there are ways out there and that, that goes back to putting yourself out there again. Like that, that those are the things where, okay, I'm not moving forward with how I ideally would like to move forward. So instead of stopping, like pull some more stops, right? Like, yeah. I mean, there's no lower limit on Upwork, so you can really set your rate to anything. And just, like, I don't know, like, work for a company for, like, for not basically nothing, but you have a real <laughs> client. You can yeah. really show that off to other clients. Most likely, if you give them, like, a really good price, they're going to be very happy about what you deliver too, right? Yeah. So, and, and then eventually, like, you can be very transparent. You're saying, hey, I'm giving you a very low rate because – is my first thing out of college. I know how to design, but um, like I, uh, I just need to get in front of people. And I have actually heard stories of people doing exactly that, and then being hired by that company for a normal uh, fee or normal rate because they were so impressed by the work. So, it it really there there are unlimited ways of yourself like you putting yourself out there in different ways. And sometimes it does take risk. And I do want to say that, right? Like sometimes you have to do work for free or work for, for very cheap in the very, very beginning. Um, I'm very much not a believer of doing free work just like that if client asks you for it. So be careful where you offer yourself up. But even not now, my priority is on delivering value to my clients. Mm -hmm. And if that means going a little bit like the extra mile uh, or doing like a little bit of like unbillable work, I'm happy to do that, but only because I'm in a place of like where I can control that. So um, don't want to be misleading here and encouraging anyone to like um, get lowballed. <laughs> no. Don't want to do that. But I, I do want to say that if you feel yourself like you're stuck, you're not getting the jobs that you want, maybe taking like a step back and doing something like this and staying in your parents' basement or something like that for like another m month or two um, is going to be enough to push you over that uh, cliff. Yeah, I agree. It's a tough thing to say. It's a tough thing to come to terms with. Yeah. But while we're on that subject, we can talk about money and talk about billing. Mm -hmm. um, it is something that people are interested in. Yeah. Uh, there's many different ways to bill. Um, mm -hmm. There's value-based billing, which is kind of like, I feel that what I'm going to give you is worth this much. And then there's hourly billing where uh, this is just, this is my rate. I'm a freelancer. This is my rate. And you trust me to um, complete work at that rate. Mm -hmm. And then there's like a package deal, for example. It's like a flat rate for a given set of deliverables. I'm wondering what your thoughts are there for a, for a junior, if you can. Yeah. Um, all of them are uh, very valid ways of, of pricing your projects. Um, but it... There is one more that a lot of agencies are using, which is like um, there are a lot of agencies that are using a blended rate essentially where they're saying our agency charges $150 per hour uh, for anyone that puts a billable hour behind it, but they give you a cap. So they're saying like this project will be somewhere between like 10 and 12 hours at this rate, um, but we won't bill over 12 hours. So that's that kind of mix of like, um, and, and that's very popular because um, you incentivize the business to work 
good well with you and give you feedback because you can get a cheaper price if, if you're both faster. They don't waste your time. But you're also guaranteeing that you're able to deliver the scope within a certain um, time frame without billing like ridiculous amounts. Um, I so, like that. So that's why like a lot of agencies use that concept. It is something where I do want to say you got to be good to get that working um, because um, essentially if you keep like if you go over the hours you do free work essentially mm-hmm. um so and you're not going to ever get that back if you do only fix for example if you're faster you would get that back right yeah but you don't get that back so it works well f- for the right clients um so just want to add that in there a lot of agencies do it that way but when it comes to pricing your work it is very very difficult to do it um a lot of like um very successful freelancers agencies always do value-based pricing or do it like often as often as possible should we talk um, a little bit more about what we mean what what is value-based pricing yeah one example would be hey i'll design you better ads if you see an increase in your return on investment on the ads that you do um, i'll take 10 percent of that or 50 percent of that for the first year what might be some of the metrics to measure that return we can we can talk a little bit more about like how the value is measured but Again, it's like one of those things where there's really no rule. You kind of agree with your uh, with the business, the client that you take on, how you want to measure it, and what is fair. Um, it can be anything, and I mean literally anything. If you do ad creatives, it's probably like a very straightforward example. If they see an increase in, in their sales, uh, you take a certain cut over a certain period of time. Um, it can be much more complex for like branding things because that can take years until it like takes effect right right um but then again like as a junior designer i don't think you're going to be able to wait for years to see a return of in your work so um like most likely if you're junior you're going to stick to uh fixed project pricing or um the hourly version of that um if you can get hourly without like a cap that's fantastic because you're getting paid to learn yeah but don't take advantage of your clients because they will fire you um so I would see if I if you can find one where you can just rack up hourly for your client and they love your work, great, fantastic, best place to be in. Project is great because you understand, um, you're forced to understand much more about how fast you work. It's going to help you a lot estimating how much something is going to take. Um, and just understanding the project um, as a whole. So th- it's going to give you a whole new perspective into... Um, yeah, into how you work, how fast you work, and and what is uh, viable as like a client to take on. And again, you're gonna learn that by just doing. Um, you're gonna see if you quote too high that you're not you're not gonna get the project. If you yeah. quote too low, uh, you're gonna be in the hole and you're gonna have to do free work. So I just lost the job because I quoted too high. Yeah, it happens. It happens to everyone. You can't read your client's mind, but um, there are ways to approach it so you have a good chance of success. Um, what I was saying for the fixed project pricing, uh, this is going to happen to you. It's going to be too low, too high, and you're going to learn from that, and you're going to essentially, and we're talking about, like, if you do price, you're probably a freelancer, so this is kind of like the, the perspective uh, from it. Um, you're going to have to want to build, like, some sort of reference library where you can see this is what it took me versus yep. uh, or how much I quoted, how much it took me, and um, that's going to be that, which I can recommend for any project really you can do because you learn so much just make a spreadsheet 
And just start dumping the content. Yep. And just just start writing it down. It's yep. super useful. If you're really serious, what I do is I, I straight up track it and harvest. Uh, you're going to have to pay for like the full version, but um, it helps me. I know the projects. I know the budget. I know where I'm at. And uh, it helps me just kind of seeing also like the billable hours that I put out and things like that. Um, but to get back to the question, the type of billing I can definitely recommend is hourly or project-based for junior designers. Yeah, you know, I have to agree, and I, I don't know if you know this, but I get a lot of pushback for recommending hourly because the answer is always like, oh, it punishes efficiency. And it's like, well, juniors aren't very efficient, to be honest. So, you know, th there's that angle to it. But the other thing is like... Interesting, yeah. A project model of pricing and an hourly, they're very similar, especially if you have discrete deliverables. Yeah. So if the client says, we need you to create social media posts, and you know that a junior in Toronto makes $50,000 a year. That's $25 an hour. If your social post takes you one hour, well, your price per product is $25 per post. Like, so you you are billing by hour, kind of. Um, yeah. So, so they're, in a way, they're one and the same. Um, so yeah, that's just another way to think about so, it. Okay, let me speak to this, because I find, I find this interesting, the perspective of like junior designers saying, well, you're being punished for efficiency, and it is true. It's actually usually senior seniors typing up articles either on LinkedIn or um, just random internet. Like if you Google right now, how should I price my freelance? Yeah. It's always like, don't do hourly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, this is. But there, I agree with you. To, by there's the way. a lot. There's and a lot to unpack. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you got to think about like who's taking on the risk yeah. um, when they hire you hourly. Mm -hmm. It's them. Yes, yeah, of course. They're not. They don't know like what am I gonna get when mm -hmm. it's gonna be finished. It could be thousand dollars, could be five thousand dollars. Yeah. Um, the other thing about like working hourly is um, you essentially you never get punished for being faster. If you have an hourly client and you deliver good work in like time in a timely manner, they're gonna give you more work. Yep. Uh, it's. Nowadays, I'm not even trying to think about the money anymore. For me, it's about how I can get the most value to my client. Yeah. And that has had the best impact. So when I hear someone saying, oh, well, hourly, and I'm going to be the like essentially the sucker of like this transaction, you're thinking about entirely wrong. Yep. Because you your entire goal is to get value to your client. That's your task as like a freelancer is bringing as much value to your, to your client as possible. And um, honestly, I'm happy for my clients. And I'm, I told you that I do hourly with a fixed cap, which mm -hmm. essentially taking the best of like both worlds um, for the client <laughs> because they're not going to ever overpay, but they get less when, when I am faster. And I'm telling you, um, this is because I believe that I can bring the most value to my client in this way. Um, it is hourly because I know if they are collaborative and they are responsive and they work with me fast, we're going to knock this out like uh, under what it may, might usually take. Um, and I also know their worries of like how long is it going to be, like what's the cap. That's why there is a cap on top of it because I know it won't take longer than this most likely. Because you've tracked it your whole career. Exactly. Yep. And if it does, it does. What matters to me is not the budget, not how much money it can take home. Uh, it, it matters to me that my client, how many, I have heard it this many times. What matters to me is, is that the client comes to me in the next call and says, 
hey, like I've, I love those designs. I showed them to my wife. I showed them to my friends and they all think they're amazing. And um, like, I, I'm so excited to be working with you. That's what I work for. And funnily enough, when I stopped looking at the money, a lot more money came my way because I brought a lot more value to my clients. So I wouldn't worry too, too much about the money. Obviously it matters and you have to have a good eye on it. Mm -hmm. But what's much more important is making your clients happy and bringing value to their business. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I a hundred percent agree. And it may, it may vary based on like, you know, I don't think you can charge an hourly rate to design someone a logo. I think that would be really hard to do. First of all, if someone hires you without a cap to just design a logo, um, that is, I wouldn't do that as like, <laughs> you're not going to get paid. No, <laughs> I, I, no, the, I wouldn't do that as like someone hiring. I like I've hired logo designers before, yeah, and I've done projects like this before. But um, I wouldn't hire anyone to do a, a like a set deliverable with an, an open cap unless I'm planning to do um, to have you on a retainer or have continuous work. Yeah. So if you find a logo job for an hourly rate, I I don't know. I have gotten job offers for branding projects hourly without a cap you're just like okay we're happy with your rate let's just get going mm. and i said no for the following reason i said i'll give you my rate and everything but we'll set a, a cap an end to it because i don't want projects to just keep dragging on that's much worse than like um doing a couple extra hours um, after hitting your cap mm -hmm. because if it keeps dragging on like your client is not going to be happy with it yeah and yeah you're going to lose a relationship you're going to lose potential referrals yep. um, you're not going to be happy with yes um, I know that feeling like you're like I love these people but I don't care about this project anymore it's just yeah. I'm, I'm I'm done with it yeah it's part of why I got it that's part of why I prefer freelancing because I get bored of my client yeah. just just can't believe I just said that out loud sorry everyone. no it's 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 but. okay it happens like you are excited about something you do your job and then at the end you realize hey, this is not really something I'm going to continue doing. And that's okay. And then you can decide, do I take on the next project or not? But you do not have that choice if you um, give them like an open retainer. And um, sometimes I have open retainers too. It's not like you should never do that. But um, just be careful about like, um, or like the reality of this happening and also being empowered to say no to having an open retainer and saying, hey, let's do this project. And afterwards, we both can decide if we want to do another one together. Yeah. Um, but there was another question before that, um, logo design, coding for a logo, mm -hmm. right? How do I do that? Yeah. And um, what's really important to understand is that um, to put the logo in a bigger context, like a full rebrand, you could deliver a rebrand for, I don't know, like $300, yeah. or you could deliver one for $100,000, $500,000. There's no end to it, right? Mm -hmm. So how do I know how much time or like... Um, what like the client is looking for and maybe also talking back to the pricing and the reality of it is you usually don't right mm -hmm. um you don't know like you could quote for ten thousand and two thousand for the same project and um the client would barely know the difference um the the thing about it is um it's all about the time that you invest in it right if if you are quoting for a ten thousand dollar project you are committing to a certain amount of time that you're going to put into it and a certain level of quality for the result. Um, if someone is looking for something that's like just something to get them started, it doesn't make sense to like 
invest ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars. So like starting that conversation essentially when I get a uh, cult lead, someone that I haven't worked with before, someone that I don't know, um, but that is interested in working with me, on the first call I ask them a bunch of questions about like what they're really looking for. Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes um, they want something and at the end of the day it's not really what they need and that goes back to um, how you approach that. But um, we agree on like, okay, this is kind of like what I'm seeing in your business. And when I do that, I give them a ballpark number. That ballpark number usually has a, a quite a widespread. But I do that because I know I'm not going to engage in a project with that scope under that number. And it helps them to put a number in their mind. And why I do that is I don't want to spend time putting together um, estimates for projects that are out of scope simply because there is a zero too much for them, right? Mm-hmm. So it's that's that's a waste of both of our time. So in this initial discovery call, I usually put a number in their mind. Um, there's also a little like price anchoring trick. You can start with a bigger number. So it, there's a little bit of relief after you say the low number. Um, but um, that usually helps them. And I usually, on the first call, I get a good idea of like, this is the challenge they're facing. This is what they actually really need, not just upselling. I, we can talk about that too. I hate upsells and, and things like that and trying to get squeeze more money out usually works the other way. You deliver good work and there's more money coming your way anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I really try to identify the core problem and try to see what is the best and fastest way with a really good quality uh, to get to this problem. And then I'll put a minimum and maximum price based on like other projects that I've seen, right? So let's say we're on a call. I understand your problem. I say, hey, like usually these projects fall between like five and two thousand dollars. How do you feel about that, right? And if they say, oh no, I, I'm looking for like two, three hundred dollars, don't bother, right? Like you're saying, hey, I can recommend you some freelancers. I know some great people that may be able to deliver in that price range, um, but uh, there's no there's no need to go through like putting. An, an extensive proposal together then for them to say, hey, like uh, there's a zero too much, right? So mm-hmm. um, on the first discovery call, that that's kind of like part of validating the client, right? I want to feel them out. I want to see who they are. Uh, things like, are they on time? Um, almost like an interview, right? Like, uh, um, are they on time? How do they communicate? Um, if they send me emails, I, I see like, um, are they professional? What is their experience? Because um, you don't want to work with someone that just bases everything off feelings and they like kind of, I don't know, like, uh, yeah. um, you know, and those are like the kind of clients where um, you end up going over scope of your project because they keep changing their mind. Yep. So it's all about validating your client from a financial standpoint, from who they are, how they work, their end goal. And if th- there are a lot of uncertainties there, then you might be better walking away. And let's say you do say like, hey, listen, um, you can say really any range if you believe that this could pr- truly be in that range. If you say, hey, this is between ten and $3,000 um, or 10000 and $3,000. Um, and they're going to say, okay, great. Uh, you're going to hear that more often than you might believe, um, then you know, okay, let's actually look at the deliverables and, and price it out and see where we want to spend the time. And then the most important thing about the next step that I've learned is that you don't dictate the pricing to them. There's an interesting story at one of the agencies I, w- I worked for. Um, it was not my project. It was part of the, uh, um, the video department there. Um, and they had... Uh, they wanted to make a, a video for DoorDash. 
uh, one of those videos where there's like a famous person delivering uh, the food to your door and they filmed their reactions, right? And DoorDash approached uh, our agency and said, hey, like, we want to do this. We have 25K to do it, right? And um, the person that was in charge of the account, um, also leading the videography aspect of this business said, listen, guys, from my experience, that's too old, right? But what we're going to do is we're going to take everything that you've told us uh, and we're going to um, make a plan and tell you exactly how, why we need to spend that money to make this an amazing video. And then um, they presented, they didn't send off the proposal. They went on another call. Um, they presented this uh, proposal and they said, hey, here is where we're going to spend the money and why. If we want to cut any of this, we can. Some things we can't, but here's how we're going to spend it. At the end of the day, they got the project for 50K. Even though they didn't even have the budget for it, they found the money somewhere else. And that principle applies to any proposal that you send off is you don't send off, or at least that's not how I do it, a finished PDF of like, this is the price. Um, I usually give them, and that's also the benefit of pricing the way I price, I give them a range and I say, hey, like um, this element is gonna take somewhere between here and here and here. And usually, unless we're like very clear on, on the pricing, I jump on a call, I walk them through, and my quotes come in a, in a um, Google spreadsheet that they can edit. They can leave comments, they can review it, they can move things around. And at the end of the day, if they say, hey, listen, uh, let's spend some time, less time on, on this element. Like I, we're okay with like a faster solution here. Let's spend more time here and, and so on. And you get them on your side and they understand where you want to spend your time and how they're going to invest. And that's also one of the key elements of this is they're investing, they're not spending. They're investing in the future of their business for like whatever you do for them. Um, I never use the term um, spent or bill or anything that's like negative money out of their account, positive into my account. It's usually a transaction that will benefit both of us. Um, and you get on their side and you understand them and you move things around and um, you really make the estimate something that you're both happy with. And you can see that all of a sudden you kind of, changing the, the rules almost you you're on the side of the client all of a sudden figuring out together how you can get the best results and you're not so much like this putting up this barrier between like this is the price and me <laughs> right right yeah yeah you want to you want to get the client to see that marketing is not a cost center it's an investment yes and right back to where you started with building those relationships and the designer is not necessarily the, um, but they're just seeking to understand and translate into visual media and other executions. Yeah. This is the ending of part one of our podcast with Leo. In part two, Leo's going to talk all about the branding side of the design industry and what it's like to work as a brand strategist. So I really hope you can tune in and listen to Leo because he's got some great stories to share with us. Thank you for listening.